We're going to be in, this is week 23 of our series through the book of Matthew, and we've already got, seen a couple of instances where Jesus um, interacts with a demon in a person. And I told you at some point I'm going to pause and kind of give you some more info on that because I think a lot of us either are kind of in two categories. Either you, you know nothing and the, just the word freaks you out because immediately, you, like you've watched some movies you probably shouldn't have and, and it's, that's, that's your concept, right? And so the, the world has infected your view of the supernatural and so when this topic comes up in your scripture reading or wherever, you sort of clinch up and hope, and just wait, hope it passes quickly, right? Um, so I want to help you, but also I think there's another category that needs some help, which is you've got a big hodgepodge. You're not, you're not concerned or you don't clinch up over the topic. You've just got a crazy like bunch of stuff in your head, and some of it's biblical and some of it's just superstition with kind of a Christian name on it, Okay. And so I want to help all of you. So I have a, before we get into the first text, I want to give you three cautions. One is um, what I just mentioned, this kind of non-biblical superstition is harmful. I'll give you a quick example. Um, many, many years ago, I was in, me and a couple other people were praying for someone that had, was having some, some of these issues, right? And the person leading the prayer time pulled out this notebook full of, kind of pre-written prayers, where he got them, I don't know, but, and the whole idea was like, we're just going to read these prayers, and if you read these prayers, then you'll be set free. Now that's, that's what I mean, that's superstition with a, in, with a Christian name on it. it. It's this, it's like you've turned prayer into some kind of like, like anti-spell or something like you see in a movie, and that's not, there's, that's nowhere in the Bible, Right? That idea. So that's what I mean. That sort of thing. Like where that comes from is someone taught him to do that, with no basis in in scripture. Just taught him to do that, and maybe somebody else taught that person to do that, and and that's how this stuff carries on. So we want to avoid that. And the way we do that is we just cling closely to what scripture says. Okay, that's how we avoid that. It's very simple. Two, um, it's unhealthy to become too interested in this topic. I find that some people. Some personalities, I don't know what it is, they get really infatuated either with angels, like holy angels, or they get really infatuated with fallen angels, but they get way into it in a way that's unhealthy, and don't, don't do that, okay? Stop it. Don't do that if that's you, all right? Um, and thirdly, the final concern is the opposite of the former, is if you're a Christian, you do not need to be afraid of this stuff. You don't need to be afraid of the, the idea of there being a supernatural world, there be things going on that you can't see. You, that's, that's called being a Christian. That's reality, okay? Think there are things happening all the time that you can't see. God's doing stuff, angels doing stuff, fallen angels doing stuff. It's going on all the time. And that's, you don't need to be afraid. Um, the point of these stories in the Bible, that, that of Jesus' acts, his authority, is to show his absolute authority over that world. And where is Jesus? He's in you. So if that Jesus is in you, there is absolutely no reason for you to be afraid. You can approach this topic with confidence knowing that Christ is in you, okay? 
All right, so enough of that. Let's open up the can of worms, shall we? Matthew 12, 22 to 29 says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, or Satan, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, that's awesome, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? He's probably talking about the disciples by that, by that word sons. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first builds or binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. All right, so that's a little hard to follow, I realize. So let me just summarize it for you. So Jesus casts out a demon out of a guy whose blindness and muteness are a result of demonization, okay? Now, that's not always true, okay? That doesn't mean that every illness, every disability is a result of that, but it, we can say sometimes it is, okay? Um, and so he casts this demon out. The guy is made well, and the people who witnessed it are like, man, maybe this guy's the Messiah. We've never seen authority and power like this before. And there's this kind of question going through the crowd, kind of excited and bewildered and amazed at what's just happened. And the Pharisees witnessed this also. They are not bewildered and amazed and impressed. They are frustrated because they don't like Jesus. They don't want him to be the Messiah. And so they begin to conspire against him. And Jesus knows it by the Spirit, knows what they're thinking, and rebukes them. And he shows them what an absurd idea that is. The very idea that Satan would work against himself, right? Because they say, well, Jesus is doing this by the power of the devil. It's just crazy, right? And he says, that's nuts. Why would the devil, if these fallen angels are doing his work, why would he resist himself and cast himself out a divided house can't stand. That's crazy, right? So then Jesus claims that what is his power over demons is a sign that the kingdom of God has come through him. Jesus is binding up the strong man who is Satan, and we are plundering his house. That is an epically wonderful idea. Satan has been bound by Jesus, and it's not just our job to survive him, and not be afraid of him. It is actually our job to go into the house and plunder it. Every day, every time someone comes into the kingdom of God, it is as if the disciples of Christ have walked right past the strong man at the door who has been bound by Jesus, and we're looking at him like, I think I'll just take this, and we're going out with the giant TV or whatever it is, that's another soul, and we walk right into the kingdom of God with it, plundering his house. That's our job, that's what we get to do not our strength. We didn't bind the strong man. Jesus did. We get to go in the house and plunder it, right? That's the picture Jesus is trying to get across to them. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand, Pharisees. I'm the Messiah, and I'm doing this stuff to show you that I am binding the strong man, and you get to plunder the house, right? They don't get it. They don't like it. 
They don't like Jesus. So this is just one story among many that we've seen, and we'll see some more later, of Jesus doing this over and over and over, demonstrating his authority. And the apostles we see later after Jesus ascends to heaven, they do the same thing. That Jesus sends them out while he's here, and they do it. And then after he's gone, they continue to do this throughout the book of Acts, and it continues to be a thing that all followers of Christ should be prepared for. And I think we often aren't, because we don't like talking about it. We like living in our heads. And we don't like things we don't understand or don't see and can't control. It's not that way everywhere in the world, but it's that way here. The fact that we do not see this often, I think, is a strong sign that Satan is undermining us in ways that we are not addressing. If you are never finding yourself praying and resisting the devil, then you're probably in some way or another in your life, he's eating your lunch and you're letting him do it. If this is just not a part of the way you pray, if it's not a, what the way, a part of the way you um, see the world. All right, so that's what I want to help us with this morning. Okay, so let's just, I'm going to give you a bunch of information. I'm going to go fast, and I got a lot of scriptures because I know this is going to create questions, but there's just no way for me to del- delve into every question. All right, so I've got a lot of scriptures for you to look up on your own. All right, so let's first talk about angels. All right, that's the, more, that's the fun side of this conversation. Right? So any discussion on demons should probably begin with angels since they are both the same basic creature. That's your first thing. So Wayne Grudem has this great quote. He says, angels are created, it's defining what an angel is. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. And you say, well, I see them appear in physical form in the Bible a lot. Yes, they do, but that's not their primary kind of substance, if I could say that. They are invisible. We don't see them, okay? They're doing stuff and they're around, but we don't see them unless they want us to be, want to be seen, right? So, created. Angels are created beings. They have not always existed. That's important. They are creations. They are creatures. God made them and he made us. They have moral judgment. Some of them sinned and fell from their positions in heaven. So they have a will and they can make Moral, good moral decisions and bad moral decisions, okay? They have high intelligence. They are not mindless robots as seen in their many interactions with people. A lot of times in the movies, they get this. This is one of the things they get wrong. They are not mindless kind of like automatons. They are invisible spirits where they can take on a physical form as needed. God can give us special momentary ability to see them. There's some scriptures for that. And in their normal activities, they are invisible, but they are examples of of them. There are examples of them taking on human form and appearing to people. Usually that's to deliver a message, like to Mary. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think it would be kind of freaky and kind of cool to see an angel. I'll give you a story. One story. I won't tell any stories about the dark part, about the fallen angels. But I'll tell you a story about when I was a little kid, this is a good example. I used to have terrible night terrors. I would be, I would, my dad would put me to bed and cut the light out and go to his room and it would be like immediately there was this really frightening, very real, malevolent presence like right up in my face, in my bed. I couldn't see it, but I knew it was there. You've probably felt this before in your life before at some point. 
And it would, I would feel this, this lie say to me, this lying voice say to me, if you move, you're going to die. Sounds scary, right? As a little kid. As I'd be like frozen in my bed, just petrified, like just absolutely shut down in fear. And eventually I would get up the courage to call my dad, and he'd come in and he'd pray for me. He'd cut the light on, he'd pray for me, and the, the fear would go away, that feeling would go away, and I'd go to sleep. And this would happen night after night after night after night. And it kind of became like, like a, a routine, right? Cut the light off, go to bed, I get scared, call dad, he comes in, prays, it's better, he goes to bed every single night. Finally, he says to me one night, son, you're going to have to pray yourself. Like, you're just going to have, the, the, you, God wants you to take authority over this thing. And he told me, like, you have, all you need to do is tell it to go away in the name of Jesus. That's it. You just use the name of Jesus. It's his power. He told me that. And he says, so I'm going to cut the light off, and I'm going to go back to bed. I'll be in here if you need me, but I'm not doing this for you. So he cuts the light off, and he goes to bed, right? And immediately I'm like, ah, freak, where'd you go, Dad? And it's there again. And I'm petrified, and finally I just get up the courage to whisper, just like eke out, like it barely counts as a voice, the just the name Jesus. I didn't even have the strength to say, in the name of Jesus. I just said, Jesus, just, just whispered it. And immediately the fear was gone, and I look over on my dresser next to my bed, and I kid you not, there is a dude sitting on top of my dresser. A really tall guy sitting on my dresser, and he's got white robes, and he is glowing with his bright light, but the room is not lit up. And I thought to myself, oh, this is like a little kid for you, right? Oh, that's an angel, and I just went to sleep. Like, oh, it's just an angel sitting there. And I just go to sleep, and I never had this problem again, ever, to this day. Now, the angel didn't set me free. God did. But I know that part of what God was doing with me was he was showing me, one, that what I was feeling was real. I wasn't imagining it, and I wasn't crazy, and I wasn't stupid and being silly. Like, it was a real dark thing that was happening to me. But at the same time, that's not all that was happening, right? The other thing that's happening is that God was, God was trained, discipling me that even a simple child with the name of Jesus can sin in the enemy to flight. He can cast a demon far away from him. And he showed me this angel there to say, hey, you're not by yourself, just go to sleep. He let me see just for a minute what the truth was. This is what I think we all need to see, even if we don't have that experience, okay? Angels apparently have tremendous power. They are far more powerful than humans. Yet, of course, when Jesus returns... We will all be lifted to a position greater than the angels. That's amazing. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you now, so you may be powerless. That's the point. Humility is the theme. You may be powerless and weak and unable to do a thing, but the Spirit in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, has all authority over that world. All right? What about their activity? What are these angels doing? Angels worship God. They execute parts of His plan. They deliver important messages to people. They comfort and protect people at the command of God, and they serve as examples to us of the kind of obedience and humility we should have ourselves. The very idea that these beings with a will 
that can choose, choose to serve God and obey him so perfectly, it should be challenging to us. So God created two groups of intelligent creatures. This is an interesting comparison if you start thinking about it. Humans and angels. We are intelligent. We have moral judgment. We have choices. We just don't have the power, and we don't have, we have bodies and not angels. But God created two groups of intelligent creatures with moral agency. Angels are more powerful, but humans are made in God's image. That's what makes us special. <clears throat> you are made in God's image. Both humans and angels rebelled against God. All the humans did. Some of the angels did. God chose not to redeem any of the angels, but he chose to redeem some of the humans. I think that's why the angels seem to be confused about us. Why did God invest in them this way? Why does he love them even though they rebelled? All of them rebelled. They're all his enemies, and yet he died for them. It's an amazing thing. This puts the undeserved mercy of God towards us, I think, in perspective. So we do not worship angels or pray to them, okay? There is one God who we worship. We have one mediator, Jesus. It's also probably unwise to strive to see them or to pray to see them or kind of get obsessed with them, all right? Your faith should not be in angels but in God. Some people who mean well get overly infatuated with the idea of angels and it becomes idolatry to them. Don't, never worship created things, okay? You worship the creator. All right, so what about fallen angels? <clears throat> Another Grudem quote, demons are evil angels who sin against God and who now continually work evil in the world. So something happened, right, between Genesis 1 at creation, when everything was created and God said everything is good, it's all good. Between there and the fall in Genesis 3 where we see Satan, an angel, tempting Adam and Eve to sin like he did. <clears throat> Somewhere in that gap, Something big happened, right? There's a couple of scriptures here that kind of give us some clues. Second Peter 2, 4 says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So, Hell is not this place where Satan and his minions are hanging out and ruling and having a party and all of that. It's, it's a place for their judgment, for their torment, where they have been cast into, okay? It is not a happy place. It is not just another word for the domain of Satan. It's like a prison for Satan, okay? Both of these brief scriptures show us that some angels sinned against God and they were cast out. They have been permanently removed from the glory of the presence of God. Hell was made for their judgment, right? So Jude also indicates that their sin was pride. Pride and humility is a theme when you start reading all the scriptures. The fundamental sin of all fallen angels is their pride. They did not want to stay in the submitted position that they were in. And they reckoned that they, maybe because of their power, or whatever, but they started to think, we should be in charge. We should be running this place. Why are we doing what he tells us to do? We could be like God, which is exactly what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. 
God's holding out on you. Why would you be his creature submitted to him and following his rules? He's holding out on you. You could be like him if you eat of that tree. <clears throat> it's the sin of pride. They will ultimately be judged by God along with all the humans that refuse the redemption of Christ. <clears throat> There's a hierarchy both in the holy angels and among demons. Satan is the head of the fallen angels, which would put him somewhere in rank with Michael the archangel. You can see that in Jude 9 and Daniel 10. I think this is really important. Because we tend to rank things, and all the movies and television and stories you have heard in pop culture are dualistic. Where you have this idea of <clears throat> Satan is over here, and God is over here, and they are equally matched. And they're battling it out until the end, when one day maybe the good will win. It's the story of Star Wars. It's the world of Star Wars, the dark side and the light side. Who will win? And really, the good is always depicted as somehow limited because it won't, there's things that good people won't do to win. There's links that you won't, you won't lie or cheat or let your anger take over in the Star Wars universe. And so you'll hold, you, you try to be calm and do good. And there's just some things you aren't willing to do, but the dark side will do anything to win. And they always seem a little more powerful than the good. And that is an absolute lie. That is not how this works. Satan is not on one shoulder and God on the other, and they're battling it out equally. God is absolutely in charge, has all authority over all of them, including Satan. Satan is created by God. His power is given to him by God and is limited by God himself. His authority is limited by God's authority. There is no contest here. There is no world. There is no story in which Satan never wins. He is a dog on a chain. He's on a leash, and God holds the leash. That's why he's not to be feared or honored or respected. It is not a fair fight. It is utter foolishness that he would resist God and rebel against him. Colossians 2, 13-15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So you died with Christ, you were raised with Christ, you are in Christ now, he is in you, you have been unified with him, and he put Satan under his feet and openly shamed them on the cross. So what are these fallen angels up to? All right, I'll give you, I've got four things. Satan is the first sinner, and he was the first to introduce humans to the idea. I'm pretty mad at him about that. What a jerk. Man. John 8, 43 to 45. This is Jesus questioning the crowds that are following him. He doesn't trust them. 
Here's what he says. Why do you not understand what I say? (laughs) It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. In 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So how do you know when Satan is lying to you? When his mouth is moving, right? He is full of nothing but lies. That's why I don't ever talk to him. I don't want to hear anything he has to say. Because whatever comes out of his mouth is going to be a lie. Don't ask him for information. What's wrong with people? (laughs) He's a liar. You don't need anything from him because everything he has is rotten and evil. Number two, fallen angels attempt to blind people to the gospel and trick them into rebelling against God and destroying themselves. I have a list of ways, temptation to sin, lies, deception, murder, blindness to the gospel, like it, meaning like I, I just can't, I can't understand it, I can't receive it, I can't see the truth in it, I'm blinded to it. And bondage, I would include addiction under that. Those are all things that the devil uses and demons use to stop people from receiving the gospel. Number three, fallen angels will attempt to weaken, hinder, or totally destroy your witness to the world through, quote, this is a Grudem quote, temptation, doubt, guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, or any other means possible. <laughs> That's a great list. I'm starting to feel like maybe you've gotten your lunch eaten a few times and didn't know it. See, in the, in the movies, we, uh, we, we see this depiction of Satan's work as this very obvious, scary, creepy thing that you can't miss, right? That's visible and physical. And that stuff can happen. But the real work is in blinding you to the truth, leading you into deception, tempting you to go your own way and find your own path and reject him, his way, and not remain submitted to him, and live your life calling yourself a Christian, but living in your own pride. Destroying your witness and shutting your mouth because you're so consumed with your own problems, you can't speak to other people about him. That's real spiritual warfare. And it's quiet, and it's subtle, and it's hidden, and it's so dangerous. He's not just a jerk, but he's real sneaky. Number four, fallen angels are not free agents. They are limited by the sovereign will of God. Fallen angels are not all-powerful, only God is. Classic example is Job 1.12 and Job 2.6. He's a dog on a chain. He can't do whatever he wants. He can't go wherever he wants to go, and he can't do anything he wants to do. He's got to ask permission. All right, the money question. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Oh, boy. That's what everybody asks. So number one, I'll give you a quick answer. Demon-possessed, that phrase is a terrible term. You should stop using it. 
It's just bad. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't come from the Bible. Some translations, English translations, use that phrase. Most translations are moving away from it because it's a bad translation of the Greek. It is not what that idea is not in the Bible. Okay. So first thing somebody when somebody asks you that, I say stop using that word. Get your definitions from the Bible. Okay. Get your get your questions from there, not from the movies you've seen, because what most people think of when they hear that word is something that's that's is holly weird, right? It's like this kind of mist comes, and it's like invasion of the body snatchers, and the person's like this shell of a person, and the person's not there, their will is gone, and their eyes turn some weird color, and they walk around like a zombie, and it's like that's that's what we think of when we think of demon possession, and that's you don't see that in the Bible. Okay, that's the first point. All right, so just stop using that word. Secondly, a Christian cannot be so dominated by a fallen angel that they lose the ability to choose right and wrong, obey God, or control their actions. I can prove that in Scripture. Romans 6, 14, also verses 4 and 11, just says, For sin will have no dominion over you. You are always responsible for what you do and don't do. Okay? Now, you can be severely afflicted Okay, that's the next point. Number three, however, there are different degrees of demonic influence on a believer, so a Christian does not always resist the devil. All right, let's, let's, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but sometimes we fail to do that. And we can sometimes do the opposite, in fact, by willfully engaging in sin without repentance, believing Satan's lies, refusing to forgive, embracing bitterness and rage, and refusing to submit to church discipline. The demonic influence that comes along with such things can be real internal torment and can be really scary. So I don't want to like say, well, no, and leave it at that because you really can. There's, demonic influence can be real and it can be intense and it can be scary and it's a kind of torment. So I'd caution anyone from referring to such cases as possession, if ever. I just think it's problematic and it brings up all kinds of it's like a clue a cue word a trigger word that brings in all kinds of worldly cultural ideas that are messed up instead simply recognizing demonic influence and dealing with it accordingly resist him he'll flee okay don't get hung up on what's happening here and certainly you should never question your salvation based on something satan does this is the problem why most people ask this question is they've known somebody or they have had some kind of experience that scared them and it made them question whether or not they're really a Christian. You should never question your salvation in Christ, the question of the gospel, because of something he does. Why? He's a liar and he's great at it. So don't listen to him and don't use anything he does as evidence of your not having received the gospel. You go to scripture to find out if you're saved or not. Okay? Don't base your confidence in your salvation on that. All right? So, some conclusions. Those that belong to Christ have his authority to wield against the devil and his fallen angels. You have it. And it doesn't take work. It doesn't take effort on your part. You, can, you don't have to try to be a son or daughter of Jesus. You either are or you aren't. My son... And my daughters don't wake up every morning thinking, okay, today, if I do right, 
If I please my dad, then I'll be his, by the end of the day, I'll be his daughter or his son. I hope, I hope I get it right today so I can still be my father's daughter. They just are. They wake up. They don't have to even think about it. They just are. The same is true of you. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are really in him forever. And you have his authority all the time. Whether you feel it or not, whether you feel afraid or intimidated or not, you have it. Just like me laying in that bed as a little kid, scared out of my mind. I still was the son of the father and I still had his authority. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If, you could, if I get you to remember anything this morning, that would be that verse. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and what's going to happen? He'll flee from you. Not just go, okay, I'll leave you alone, but in five minutes I'm coming back. It's fleeing like, ah! Running scared. Getting as far away from you as he can get. Scared to death. That's what fleeing is. Not just stepping away and pausing. It's an exit from your life. Resist him and he'll flee. But this verse is not aimed only at you not being afraid. You are commanded to resist the devil. It is part of your mission, your ministry in life. To plunder hell. To plunder the enemy's house. The strong man has been bound up. Not, so you, this is not spiritual warfare. It's not a defensive posture. It's an aggressive posture. You're commanded to resist him, and when you do, he'll flee. We must first submit ourselves to God. There's that humility thing again. It's not you. It's not your power. It's a real dumb thing, a real foolish thing to walk with a bunch of swagger up to the devil and start poking his chest like you got this. You don't got this. Only Jesus has it. Pride will ruin you on lots of levels, and this is just one way. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8-9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Pay attention, right? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. There it is again. Don't be naive. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't say, well, I, you know, that's advanced Christianity. And when I've been a Christian a little longer and a little older and i got some of the other stuff down, then maybe I'll worry about this thing. I'll get into the, the fight. But for now, I'm just going to hang back. and Because this whole thing kind of weirds me out, so I'm just not going to think about it. That's, that's a big mistake because he is not going to play fair. He's going to eat your lunch, and it's unnecessary. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Don't be naive. Be sober-minded and watchful. So a few kind of practical things I want to give you. One, it's good practice to regularly resist the devil in prayer. You may not see what he's doing, but he's up to something. <laughs> he's not just leaving you alone. And so you may not be like, I know what he's doing. He's doing this. He's tempting me with this. He's attacking my family this way, or he's doing this or that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and resist him there, and then I'll leave him alone. Like, you're not that smart. Okay. You're not that insightful. You're not that discerning to know everything he's doing. Just, every, you know, just make it a regular thing. This is what I do when I pray. I'm just praying, 
and I say, just in the name of Jesus, I resist the devil. Whatever you're up to, I don't need to know what it is. Just get out of my life and get out of my family's life in the name of Jesus. And let's move on. I think that's a good practice. Number two, do not give fallen angels too much attention. Their problem is pride, right? So I generally make it a practice not to talk to them at all. I don't say, I'm not saying you can't ever. Jesus did it. I'm not saying you can't. But don't, I just feel like they're not, Paul's general attitude seems to be he paid them no mind until they crossed the line until they pushed hard enough, and then he would address them directly. But Paul's kind of default mode was to say, I'm going to do what I'm called to do, and I'm not going to let them stop me, and if you get in my way, then I'll rebuke you. There's this kind of attitude, like it's an annoyance over here. And he's focused on God. That's his attitude all the time. And then if you, if you kind of cross the line, he's like, ah, all right, and I'll deal with it. I think that's a good attitude to have, right? Uh, number three, in my study, I found pride to be a primary characteristic of demons and humility a key to spiritual warfare. So remaining submitted to Christ and aware of your weakness without him is a key to overcoming the devil and his angels. And honestly, this takes care of most of the devil's activity in your life. Just staying connected with Christ and submitted to him and aware of your weakness, confessing your sin to him, being a kind of person that forgives easily and repents quickly. And the rest of it, God takes care of most of the time. All right, so persistent areas of temptation. So if you're wondering, like, well, how do I know what's going on? This kind of seems, if I can't see him, how do I know what he's doing? Persistent areas of temptation, unbelief, intrusive thoughts, mood swings, clusters of negative coincidences. Those are my favorite. You know when everything just sort of goes wrong at once and it's nothing really big? You just have a day where everything breaks and everybody's mad and grumpy in the whole entire household, that's not coincidence. Maybe you, should, you know, maybe you should just stop and say, wait a second. I resist the devil in the name of Jesus. Sudden bad moods in the entire household, etc., are things that I have learned to look out for and rebuke the devil for. Like I said earlier, it doesn't mean it's always what's going on. Okay? If you're looking for a rule, you're going to have a hard time finding it aside from resist the devil and he'll flee, all right? Number five, and lastly, spiritual warfare should always include repentance and forgiveness. Just because a fallen angel incited you to sin doesn't mean you aren't to blame. The fall in Genesis 3 is a perfect example. Satan was sly, he was slick, he gave him the perfect lie that would just, boy, it really made him feel good. It really connected with them in their soul and what they really wanted. It was very, very tempting. But who was ultimately to blame for their sin? It was them. Satan got cursed too. He got his. But they were all, so part of resisting the devil needs to include God and I. God, please forgive me for giving into that. Please forgive me for losing my temper. Please forgive me for that. And can you deal with him? Because he is really messing me up, right? Repentance and forgiveness closes the door and removes his access to your life. All right. I'll turn off the fire hose now. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like this to pray. Um, I want to pray for you and just, very, just simply resist him, all right? 
And if there's things that maybe as I've been talking, you're like maybe this thing going on in my life is, is Satan messing with me, then you can pray for that specific thing, but I don't think you have to. That's not what Scripture tells us we have to do. It just says resist them, okay? So I want to do that together. I want to pray for you, pray over this church, that you'd see some freedom and that the annoyance, like the buzzing flies in your life, would just go away. Wouldn't that be nice? Just to have a minute to catch a breath and that that would be effective for you. So why don't we stand up together if you're here in the room this morning. Let's pray. God, I, God, we thank you for the amazing truth that you have not only blessed us and saved us and redeemed us and given us an eternal future with you, but God, you have also invested in us your authority. The authority you won at the cross and in the resurrection you have given to us permanently without taking it back. You will not retrieve it or take it back if we don't use it properly. God, you have given it to us to use your name what it means when we pray in your name. God, in and of ourselves, we have no authority, but in you, we have all of it. God, we thank you that no demon in hell can withstand your authority. There's no contest here. Lord, would you rid us of that dualistic thinking that has encroached in our minds and our perspective on you and on the world. God, we would see right now with new eyes of faith that we would see your might and your power and your absolute, all-encompassing, unstoppable authority. And God, that we would see that you have invested that in us by your Spirit. We don't deserve it, we have not earned it, and we never will. God, I pray for anyone here who has been intimidated, knowingly or unknowingly intimidated by a fallen angel, by the enormity of the confusion or the enormity of the temptation that they have been under. And so God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just resist the devil and all his work. Lord, I resist him over this church, over every family unit here, every individual, every child. God, I pray that every child in this room would have beautiful, sweet, life-giving dreams every night. God, that depression and fear and confusion, bipolar, schizophrenia, all these things, God, that they would be spared from it. God, I pray that they would be free from every attack and lie of the devil. God, I pray that over every family here, God, that you would set people free. God, wherever we have allowed Satan to encroach into our life without, because we've been ignorant or unwilling. God, I pray that we, now that you would set us free from that encroachment right now. God, we hold and take that authority you've given us and we wield it against him right now. God, I pray that you would make us more aware, more attentive to what you're doing that we cannot see. God, make us aware of your leading. God, God, that we would have ears to hear the Spirit whisper to us and tell us what to do.
God, that you would give us ears to hear the Spirit say, hey, that's, that's not you, that's, that's the enemy. He's trying to encroach on you. God, help us to have ears to see that, <laughs> ears to hear that, eyes to see it. God, make us people that walk by the Spirit. God, there will be no fear of what we can't see, but instead we'll be trusting in you. God, we pray all these things in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you guys. Hope you have a fantastic week. See you next time.